how do we help them deal with the losses that they've experienced around COVID? Um, there's a new phenomena of um, fear of normalcy returning. I think it's, you have FOMO and it's like FOMO and, and that's about fear of normal operations and people being concerned. And I, and I, I bet you all of us have had that moment that we've been to a place and it's like a hundred people and you're like, okay, this is weird. Uh, and so students really experiencing that, that same thing um, and being in congregate living at the same time. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Dr. DeGuzman. In today's episode, we are discussing with our panelists how they've been planning for and strategizing to best support college students as they return to campus while the COVID-19 and Delta variant pandemic rages onward. Student Affairs Now is a premier podcast and online learn community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Before we jump into this conversation, I do want to acknowledge today's sponsors, uh, Everify. So how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students rate commitment to safety, well-being, and inclusion as important as academics and extracurriculars. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not in an expense. For over 20 years, Everify has been a trusted partner for 1,500 colleges and universities with nine efficacy studies behind their courses. You will have confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety and well-being with the results to prove it. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at everify.com forward slash student affairs now. This episode is also brought to you by Anthology. Learn more about their innovative data-driven platforms to build and foster your campus student engagement experience. Learn more by visiting anthology.com forward slash engage. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Glenn Guzman. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at the University of California, Berkeley. I use he series as my pronouns, and I'm hosting this conversation today from my home in Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the Ohlone peoples. Today's topic is very difficult. Um, and you know, with COVID still raging on, this has impacted so many of us, all of us really on a global scale. And I know even six months ago, we hosted an episode on Student First Now, really starting to look post COVID and what does that future look like? But I think that one of the things that we can definitely say now is that pandemic recovery efforts have definitely been impacted as we continue to struggle with this. So this episode came to, to be, we received lots of requests for this type of conversation. And I'm grateful, I'm really, really grateful to have this group of panelists join me today as I know the conversation that we're about to have um, is coming from professionals and student affairs uh, practitioners who've been part of their campus and community COVID response. I also wanna share that this episode is being recorded on August 30th. And I share this date because each day we continue to learn more and more about COVID-19 and the more and dangerous Delta variant. Um, policies, protocols, guidelines keep shifting and changing. So having that date will kind of give you sort of like an understanding of where, when we recorded this episode. So let's meet our panelists. I'd like to start by um, 
introducing, uh, we're going to have today Amber Ulmer, who is the Associate Director of Residential Life um, from the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Amber. We also have Dr. Stacy Pearson Wharton, Dean of Health and Wellness and Director of the Counseling Center from Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. Hello, Stacy. We also have Dr. Kim Mato de Freitas, the Director of Fraternity and Story Life from the Ohio State University. Welcome to the podcast. Um, if we can, I'm going to have each of you to sort of share a little bit more about yourself with the audience um, so they get a little more sense of what you do and how you're connected to this topic in particular. So if we can start with Amber. Yeah, of course. So like I, like Glenn said, I'm Amber Ulmer. I use they and she pronouns. Glenn is actually my supervisor. And um, I'm, I help oversee our undergraduate residential life team. We have 8,000 residents this fall. We had 2,000 last fall. And um, through the pandemic, I also have taken on the, the oversight and the, uh, I'm the architect of our isolation and quarantine area for campus. And that's kept me really connected and close to our COVID response, um, not only for our residential students, but our, our campus at large, and tried to help our, our, our partners talk the same language and help them understand each other and, and move things along. Thank you, Amber. Stacey, a little bit more about you. So um, um, as Glenn said, I'm Dr. Stacey Pearson Wharton, also known as Dr. Stacey, and I currently have the pleasure of serving as our Dean of Health and Wellness and Director of Counseling and Psychological Services on our campus. Um, in the initial stages of the pandemic planning, I really was the person who was curating things for our campus, and so uh, procuring the, the hotel that our students stayed in for quarantine housing and coordinating that through the semester along with our public health campaigns and transportation and wastewater testing. And so kind of the initial person to bring those things to the table for the decision makers to make decisions. Currently, I am more involved or most involved in recovery and public health campaigning um, for the campus as well as the mental health pieces for our counseling and psychological services. I use she, her, her pronouns. Thank you, Dr. Stacey. And Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Kim Montoya Freitas, as was just mentioned. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the director at The Ohio State University, working and leading with our amazing sorority and fraternity community. Um, our community, after our larger recruitment uh, timeframe in the spring, will be roughly 5,000 students. So over the last year and change, um, I have been working really closely um, with our College of Public Health, with my liaisons, which included um, and still continue to include um, a specific epidemiologist that would work with me and particular scientists to really look at um, the sorority and fraternity community and think about it through a prevention lens. Um, we do have a lot of chapter facilities and we have an associate director for sorority and fraternity housing. So working with her as well, um, really engaging the students in the conversations around COVID, um, thinking about, again, the prevention methods, how can we tweak different things? And then obviously, um, just thinking about the what next. On a national lens, I am the national co-chair for NASPA for the Fraternity and Sorority KC. And I share that because on a KC level, we have also continued to offer COVID conversations. We had thought that we would have had the opportunity to wrap that up by now, but 
you'll see some still going into the fall. Right. Um, I do want to just first congratulate all of you because I know that Ohio State and I know you Berkeley opened last week. I know Susquehanna opened this week, today, actually, if I'm understanding correctly. So um, congratulations to that. But obviously, there's a lot of stuff happening. Amber, I'm going to open um, with this question for you. You know, like you shared in the beginning, we had about 8,000 undergraduate residents move in, which is 6,000 more than the previous year. And there was a lot of planning that was taking place during the summer. And as the campus was opening, news started coming out about the Delta variant and just um, vaccinations. We were, the, the buzz the, was emerging, but with that buzz comes the stress and anxieties as the families are about to come in. And then obviously we have the wildfires in the West, which was creating poor air quality for sure. So I want to start this question. It's going to be for all of you, but um, Amber, if you can kick off, how did moving go uh, for you as you implemented your COVID or pandemic response measures? Was it what you expected or were there surprising things that you learned and want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think it almost all went as I expected. Um, you know, I think we were we tried to be really thoughtful about where were the points where we may have hiccups or someone may not be able to do the thing we wanted them to do in the way we wanted them to do it. And, and we tried to be thoughtful about how to individualize solutions for those people instead of needing to change our entire response um, and, and, and planning for move-in day. We, with 8,000 folks, we spread our, our move-in over four days, um, which certainly helped lower the density on campus and the stress of everyone. Um, I think uh, some of the things that went as expected, Berkeley students are incredibly compliant when we are clear with them about what the, what what we need them to do. And moving going into move in, we were really clear everyone needed to be masked, included your family members. It was going to be outdoors for the most part, and and you were going to have a limited amount of time, which is pretty normal for us to do all the things going up and down. We certainly had some hiccups um, that are historically hiccups that we have every move in every move in year. So it's nice to feel those things again, like elevators going down and and you know lines and stuff to get keys. Um, so it was nice um, because unlike last fall, when it was pretty much a ghost town for move in, um, you know it really felt like the energy came back to campus, and I think that helped the students um, start to settle their nerves a little because a lot of students and and their families. In particular came with a lot of nerves on move-in day and had a lot of questions and really wanted to be able to ask someone their questions and um, obviously we were busy doing lots of things but we really tried to take those individual moments to answer questions where we could. Um, I think some of the surprising things we learned um, which I don't think are necessarily surprising to me um, are that um, students don't really understand the symptoms of COVID totally um, when they're on their own and by themselves. Um, I think we have we've had a lot of folks say, "I think my roommate has COVID," and when we when we get the person connected to our health folks, it's they had a headache or you know it was it was something that wasn't necessarily even in line with with what was going on um, in in the COVID symptoms. So really trying to help figure out where are those things that we need to teach our, our residents early on so that we can connect to our health partners and work with our communications team to figure out how to clearly communicate those things so that students can know when is the time to call someone versus when is the time to say, I need more information about this and I need to stay curious. Right. Dr. Stacy, how was it for you at Susquehanna? 
Well, it feels remarkably normal is, is, is my kind of my grand sentiment. When I left um, the counseling center today to come home to, for this recording, there were people in the waiting room and I squealed um, because we have not had anybody in our waiting room since March of 2020. Uh, and so th- there is that piece of it. Um, kind of like Berkeley students, our culture has really breeded a lot of complacency. And if not, students will check you or they will tell on you. And so um, really kind of trying to, which is interesting in an environment that is um, very, only 73%, 67, 30-something percent of the people in my county are vaccinated. And so it's a very conservative, very anti-masker, anti-vaxxer, not overall, certainly, but not, and not the university, but in the larger community. And so it was interesting to think about bringing people into our space, but we found people to be highly respectful and compliant of what we're trying to do, which we oftentimes talk about it as saving the semester. Really interesting to hear the different background and differences between Berkeley and, and your institution. And mm-hmm. Kim, how, how was it for you? How, did it go as expected? So honestly, I don't know if I really had any expectations. I was just ready to go in and be a part of the energy. Um, Looking back at the last week, I have to say that I am really proud of the students. Um, We had some really amazing back to campus events and we had a yard show on Friday where a little over 500 students showed up. It was outside, so um, it's not like inside where masks are mandated, Um, but we had lots of events going on on campus, uh, lots of energy because we did have um, events on campus until this fall were 10 max. So just again, naming the energy was really exciting. Um, not too many issues with compliance. I did go to a, um, event last night where I had to point out to a couple students, Hey, can you put your mask over your nose? Um, but overall it's been pretty good. It's great to hear. And, you know, it it makes me think about as you're sharing your kind of opening responses, the the energy that's even coming up within me, just thinking about like, yeah, there's, we're actually seeing people again. And it's, it, it definitely brought a lot of like positive um, energy through me. Um, Stacy. let me direct this question towards you. And this is around um, some of the challenges that campus leaders are facing. Obviously during the summer, um, I think campus leaders were really looking into the crystal ball, really trying to forecast what fall opening was gonna look like, looking at trends, looking at um, what happened the previous fall, consulting with medical and public health officials. Um, but obviously, as we got closer to opening, the Delta variant started reignited and just created a lot of stress amongst folks. Um, I wonder if you could take us through some of the pressures and thought process you believe campus leaders must be experiencing as the fall semester gets underway. Well, I, I think that the Delta variant was like that, um, that uh, what do you call it, that, com- that commercial the um, infomercial that says, but wait, there's more. Because I think that there was this moment that we thought that we had turned the corner, right? And that we were going to have a relatively pre-COVID type experience, particularly given that for us, um, 95% or so of our population is vaccinated, right? So we thought this is going to be amazing. And then Delta was like, I don't know. So I think there are a couple of things that are in people's head. The first is just the mere fatigue and exhaustion with believing and disappointment 
believing that we had turned the corner and that is in fact not the case and and wait figuring out ways to keep people engaged in all of the safety measures even though people are sick of the mask and all of those things but continuing to stress the importance and helping people to go the distance with that certainly um staying safe and open is important and people trying to figure out how to manage the vaccines and whether are we going to mandate it or not are we going to mandate it for faculty and staff and students are we only going to mandate it for students are we going to give exemptions what will that what's the exemption process and so just really kind of trying to manage the whole entire vaccine process i think the other piece that is really unique is that all of us have second year students on our campus who are FTICs, who are first time in college folks. And so really helping them to adjust and to transition um, in this new way of they are in college, but not at college, but here for the first time. And so really managing uh, that group as well and helping students as well to re-engage. How do, how do they get their head back in the game? How do we help them deal with the losses that they've experienced around COVID? Um, there's a new phenomena of um, fear of normalcy returning. I think it's, you have FOMO and it's like FOMO and, and that's about fear of normal operations and people being concerned. And, I, and I, I bet you all of us have had that moment that we've been to a place and it's like a hundred people and you're like, okay, this is weird. Uh, and so students really experiencing that same thing um, and being in congregate living at the same time. And then um, the last two things that I will note is uh, what's happening in the external community and how is that going to impact the workforce? And so are your schools open? Are they going to be open? And what does that mean for the workforce um, um, of our campus and university? Are they masking or are they masking? And how what is happening in the community that is around us is going to impact um, our lives and work um, and mission here at the university. And of course, the last but definitely not least is all the fiscal stewardship pieces. And what does it mean if we have to, can, like, can we survive if we, and, and, and that's both for schools our size and schools the size of Berkeley and Ohio State because so much um, revenue comes from um, from the residential life portion. And so how do we be good financial stewards in the midst of this, this, this global pandemic, but also you put on that the demographic cliff, the racial reckoning, the wildfires, the war zones, the hair, hair and all the other things that are happening. It makes uh, fiduciary stewardship even more complex and complicated. Wow, I, every single point you made are conversations that I'm in. And I, I think that was beautifully said. And I love this, the phono, um, fear of normal operations. That is a quote, you heard it here first on Student Affairs. <laughs> That's great, I love that. I wanna use that. Um, Kim, let's talk about, um, you kind of alluded to in the very beginning with the, um, uh, your event that you had. I know that I've spoken to uh, many student affairs professionals who, uh, like, like you, like me, we just want to return to that in-person college experience. But I'm also running into a number of student affairs professionals who want to maintain their remote learning, and obviously, understandably, like there's just still a lot of concern and fear. 
And as a profession, I know we recognize the value of in-person engagement and the holistic development of, of our students. And that oftentimes can only happen in that in-person space. It's the center of what we do with engagement, with student orgs, fraternities and sororities. So I'm curious to know what type of efforts do you or you're hearing um, other campuses are taking to help these organizations recalibrate and, um, and you know, um, to maybe overcome the fear of normal oper- the phono, right? The fear of normal operations and, and recognizing, but also recognizing the risk of COVID. Yeah, this is a great, 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 great question and conversation. And I think that we'll all be, you know, this will be ever-changing throughout this fall. Um, as I shared here, there's a lot of ex- excitement to be in person. Um, but I know that my colleagues are still having a lot of conversations with the students and the organizations about backup plans. So if we do plan to have something in person, um, what is plan B and what is plan C, depending on what's happening here in the county, right, here in the state and here in the country. Um, I also think that we need to think about the audience. So particular meetings, as I've shared with my team, um, you know, maybe we will stay online. And we might for the foreseeable future. I think about meetings with advisors and alumni and graduate members. Some of them were driving two hours to meet with us. That's not necessary. So I think that we've learned a lot through this time that maybe will stick with us. Um, Like the Zoom meetings at, at night, right, with advisors. And also thinking about how our HR departments and institutions across the country are also thinking about, hmm, staff can still get the job done from home. So how are we reevaluating what hybrid work looks like, what maybe some days at home look like? Um, and there's, there's a lot of articles out there about this. So it's not just me bringing this up, but I'm very fortunate that I'm, I'm living this experience where I'm being asked to think about, you know, our team and what that can look like for us to be remote some days and here in the office as a student facing um, entity on other days. Uh, I think that no matter what, We need to be conscious and remember the different identities. Um, Different identities have been been impacted differently throughout the COVID um, pandemics and other pandemics occurring. And you mentioned earlier, you know, like folks have have lost individuals and this continues to impact particular identities more than others. Mm -hmm. Um, So just really being aware of that, thinking about the parents and the families out there and individuals who may not have children, but are taking care of maybe their parents or another family member um, and really centering that while we are student affairs professionals, we're humans. So really remembering that during this time while decisions are being made. I appreciate you centering the, um, the, the, the student press professional's life outside of the workspace. I think that is something that oftentimes gets lost. And um, particularly as we, we are just putting, our, there's so much fatigue, like compassion fatigue, we're, we're investing in, in our teams. Um, and just to speak about that, I appreciate you mentioning that. Speaking of staff who are working really hard, and this is a very, direct question uh, from uh, someone who asked about um, resident assistance. Um, Amber, this question is for you. Obviously, RAs play a very big role on college campuses nationally. It plays a big role at UC Berkeley. Um, And they are, and we know we're very appreciative of what they do for us. Uh, I know you are a big follower of the science behind how we mitigate and address COVID spread. Um, Can you talk about how you maybe adapted and changed and uh, modified RA training to incorporate the science. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, of course. So, you know, I have some background in this. I trained as a middle school science teacher. So science communication that is clear and um, helps people be curious is really important to me. And so that's that has been at the center of, of how I've kind of approached this. I think I've also um, really said we're going to listen to our campus and community health experts. We are not going to debate with them. We are not. We can ask questions of them and gather gather more information. But but their legitimacy and, and ability to help us through this this pandemic is going to be really central to how we understand this. We have an incredibly um, student focused uh, medical director at our health uh, um, center, and she is probably the least doctor doctor I've ever seen. Um, she really knows how to talk to students and um, they put together a COVID response team that really centered the students and how to answer their questions. And I think that um, seeing that helped me say to my RAs, I understand how the campus is responding to this and I can answer questions that are specific to residential life and I can help you get the information that you need and tease it out of the websites and tease it out of the emails and, and, and help you figure out how to make sense of what's happening and the unraveling of our world in this moment so that we can make our own individual decisions because that's the other thing I'm really clear about is we are all making our own individual decisions that collectively come together. And um, I, I, you know, really early on in the pandemic, we decided to really shut down and minimize what our RAs were doing because we didn't have enough science to understand where the risk was for them. And so we really pivoted early on. And as we understood more and more um, specific to our campus, but globally as well, we started to reincorporate their, their work back in. So doing those in-person responses for a limited number of things. We are almost back to oper normal operations. Um, there's still some things that they, you know, will call someone about before they necessarily go and do the thing. Um, I think I've really appreciated the, the, the RAs that have stayed curious. And I think the ones that uh, raised their hand and said, I, I don't understand this thing. One of the things that we did last week or two weeks ago in RA training is I was supposed to do a budget overview and it was easily more done in a, in a video format. And so I recorded a video and instead I, I asked our whole team to watch a campus conversation that our um, epidemiologists and our health center folks had. And I think that helped um, people understand um, because I was seeing lots of questions that didn't necessarily follow the science. So a lot of questions about, should we even be doing things outdoors in person? And, you know, knowing that we needed to bring back some of the normalcy, we needed to be able to do some of the things and have the experience. We could not keep 8,000 people in their rooms um, like we did last fall. Um, and so really trying to, 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 to hone in on their questions and understand where their concerns were so that we could get that specific thing answered. And I think when we, when we had our, our um, UHS team come in and talk directly, we collected a hundred questions and we got to get through about 40 of them. We're answering the rest of the questions right now. And um, I think that really, really helped our, our team understand that 
we were going to listen to them. It didn't mean that they didn't always, they always got to be a direct part of the decision-making, but we, we wanted them to understand that their questions were really important because that will help us understand how to communicate to the rest of the team. And, and the team is not just the resident assistants, it's the residents, it's our custodial staff, it's our health professions, it's, it's everyone on the campus. And, and um, I was really clear early on also that everyone on this campus needed to be able to say to someone else, I need you to put a mask on. And we did a lot of training early on and tried to help lots of people outside of residential life become care, uh, comfortable with that statement. And I think, um, like I said earlier, UC Berkeley students, when it's clear to them, really do follow the rules. Yeah, and, and I think to your point, it really helps when you have, you're on the same page with public health, with, um, uh, with staff, but we know that's not always the case, you know, in other locations. I know, I know that I was just reading a news feed and I know that the Florida Board of Governors, this question is for Kim, it's a tough question. It's, I know the Florida Board of Governors are recommended returning to pre-pandemic conditions within the CDC guidelines. Right. So un interpret that. And then you have the governor of Florida who dismissed masking recommendation. And this is an example, really, that illuminates sometimes mixed messages that just kind of confuse people. And it speaks to the greater context, you know, where students are coming to campus from all over, you know, the U.S., the world with mixed interpretations. And I think there is a responsibility and role for campuses, student affairs professionals to try to get everyone on the same page. And that's a big, tall ask um, and very difficult to do. So I'm curious to know what um, you are doing on your campus or what you're hearing to help communicate clear expectations and getting students on the same page. Yeah, well, <laughs> this one is challenging and obviously um, ever evolving. Um, I would say for me personally, I feel, feel very fortunate that I work at an institution that has been very diligent with communications. We have a senior vice president who um, really believes, and it's it's just in her being of being transparent with her leaders and her managers about what messaging is coming. Um, you know, she listens to us and to the students, and and is finding different ways to communicate out. So whether that is um, from the top down with our our president sharing what are the expectations, um, again, some senior leaders, and then thinking about how we also reiterate those messages through different student newsletters, whether that's like a, a student org insider or maybe a Friday letter from student um, from sorting fraternity life, just saying, hey, this is how this impacts you for your events that you are planning, or hey, this is how this impacts you for your parent weekend that you're planning. I also wanna go back to something that Amber said um, talking about how do we bring in those specialists, right? Those who have the expertise. Um, I am not an epidemiologist, but again, it has been wonderful to work with our College of Public or Public Health to bring them in to listen to the students, have the conversations with the students, answer the questions, and to have other point people. Um, we are really fortunate as student affairs professionals that we have, most of us, right? We have um, these specialists and scientists uh, right on our campuses. If not, it's likely that there's someone in the town or the community, the city that is working with us. So how can we bridge that and make those relationships to also make it really noticeable to the students that they care about them? Um, there's always going to be some students that question, why are we doing this and not that? Um, 
you know, as you brought up Florida and different messages. And again, really coming back to the consistency, consistency um, making sure that my colleague is saying the same thing as me uh, to their student organization. And going back again to what Amber said, how are we making time to listen to the students, to have those conversations? I think we all know that conversations really matter and conversations definitely contribute to change. So if we're just silencing them, never asking them what their thoughts are, or how they're feeling, um, it's that's just not the way to, to work and navigate this still very challenging time. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, you know, for every, I think a lot of students are trying to do their best to understand and try to be compliant. I think that's the majority of the students, but every once in a while, we know, you know, there are students who, um, who will challenge the, the policy or have their own interpretation that will not align with what the campus is trying to do. So Amber, this question is really um, directed to you. Um, you know, historically, as in our student affairs profession, we use conduct systems really as a way for students, particularly newer students, to reflect and learn and from learn from their mistakes. Um, you know, oftentimes providing educational sanctions of some sort. Um, some um, have seen um, COVID policies as different, and uh, or some institutions, excuse me, have seen. Uh, 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 conduct is a, di a, a different way that they might have a more rigid stance with more firmer consequences that really impacts maybe potentially a student's standing, you know, leading up to, for example, probation or separation from an institution. Um, I'm kind of curious to know, like, what do you think? Um, how, how do you approach students who are going to, you know, willfully or maybe unintentionally um, uh, not follow COVID um, expectation or uh, expectations that the campus is setting forth um, around COVID? Yeah, I actually think you, um, you made a good distinction there. They are willfully doing it or they are unknowingly doing it. I think there's a difference there and part of part of the conduct process or part of the, the follow-up process, depending on how you set it up, needs to figure out, is this person just, just needs more information and, and more coaching around how to do this right? Or is this person trying to challenge us for a, a, maybe a different reason? And then that's, we got to figure out that that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, I think um, one of the things that I'll say is that um, I'm very fortunate that in our conduct system, we have a lot of flexibility to be able to say, okay, this is something that we should handle maybe more informally. This is something that we should put through a restorative uh, practices or restorative justice type conversation. This is something that actually needs to go into a formal process. And then for us, because we're residential, we can escalate to our university campus um, conduct office. So we have a lot of options. And um, but what I knew early on was that most students were not going to willfully be um, flouting rules or, or doing things that they shouldn't be doing. I took um, and, and my team took the, the stance that um, we were going to be really thoughtful. We were going to try to have as many individual conversations either at the moment of the documentation or following up with a staff member that had a relationship afterwards as possible. So we really have this buffer period for the first couple of weeks right now in which we're really just trying to have those conversations. We're asking the RAs to, when they say to someone, I need you to put your face mask on to have, they have some talking points to be able to run through why this is important to us and important to our community. If the RA feels like that's a good enough conversation, the person got the point, we're gonna mark that as fine. We're gonna say, 
that they, we had the, the conversation and we can move forward. If that person messes up again, we have a different alternative option for, for how we're gonna deal with that. And we're gonna try to individualize as many responses as possible. So we're gonna try to really think about and be thoughtful. Is it because they're in a roommate conflict and they're really trying to do this thing to, to, to force someone out of their room? Is, you know, really deep diving deep into the reason behind someone who, quite frankly, when they, when they get to the part, part uh, the so many conduct reports that I know their name, um, I, I know that something's going on with them that is deeper than, than what we've been able to find out so far. So really trying to figure out with those handful of people who are, um, who have the most reports and, and the staff are the most frustrated about helping, helping the staff understand we still need to have a, a calm touch with them. We still need to figure out how to get them to comply with what they're asking for in the moment and trust in the process that we will be following up afterwards. We have a really clear escalation process with our campus partners and um, have really tried to be nimble throughout this thing. We had a little surge, what we called it, the COVID surge in February. And um, we needed to take out some of the, the less formal, more restorative options out of our conduct process because we needed to gain faster compliance. And so that's what we did is we just cut out a few steps for a month while we were getting everything under control and folks to understand what we were asking them to do. And, um, you know, we tried to use the different tools that been based on where we were in the pandemic and where the campus specifically was and where the residence halls specifically were. Thank you, Amber, for sharing that. Uh, it does lead to probably, oh, Kim. If it's okay, can I add something into that? Um, just listening to Amber, I was hearing a lot about the individual and I just wanted to add in from a group level that it's gonna be really important that those of us who work with organizations, whether sororities, fraternities, clubs, organizations, um, that we're also really being thoughtful and thinking about how a lot of these organizations haven't hosted events in a really long time and thinking about who are the elected senior leaders of those organizations now and how it could be that they haven't hosted a large event on campus for homecoming or a social event off campus. So um, just naming that, we're all going to need to be really intentional about having those conversations about how to host um, events for organizations. And when Amber said, you know, some some just don't know. I think that that is an area where we have some control over, like how do we help these organizations get that knowledge to help them be successful? Now, there are, of course, going to be some groups that aren't going to show up or aren't going to still plan it out as we would like, um, but just naming that we've got two years of organizations on many of our campuses that have not held large organizational events. Right. And, the and I'd also... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'd also say um, that brought up a thought for me. It, the whole community needs to reset its expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, we we hosted some uh, some welcome back programming that was outdoors and, and we got a lot of noise complaints because the, the surrounding community didn't know what was happening. They were like, what on earth is happening? It was very cute. It was called Masked Singer and it was literally Masked Singers. Um, it was awesome. Um, and, you know, really having to, to follow up with not only the people who, it was us, putting on the program to, to help understand that we needed to renormalize that 
with this many people on campus, things are going to happen and we need to keep people, um, you know, active and, and in as safe spaces as possible. Great points. I keep even thinking about just even staff, new staff trying to learn the culture, mm-hmm. the environment, mm-hmm. the community. So great point sure. all around. So this next question is directed to Stacy. Stacy, this is probably the one area that I get probably the most questions on. It is around the mental health impact on students, staff, even faculty. You know, obviously we talked before the, um, we started recording about how this question can just be an episode unto itself. Um, and I want to center this question really on our students in particular, um, but what did we learn as a student affairs profession that would help prepare us for supporting the wellness of our newest students this upcoming fall? And what concerns you the most? So what concerns me, I'll start with what concerns me the most. What concerns me is that people, just everybody's struggling. Like I don't have a therapist friend any place in the country no matter what the population that they're working with that has openings in their practice, um, that therapists are inundated right now with people who are really in distress um, for a myriad of reasons, but that, that, that distress level is really very high. And, and so what I know is that our students are then a microcosm of that are, and are coming back to campus with that same level of distress. Um, the, I am also the chair of our care team or students of concern or bid or whatever you call it on our campus, the current chair. And, um, I, I received 10 reports this morning when I opened up my email, it just was jumping off because people, um, are concerned about students already. And we had not even started classes yet. Certainly what we know is that isolation and quarantine had an emotional impact on our students and um, and in that process of quarantining students, um, that we had to find a way to try to be there and be present for them, even in the midst of that quarantine. And so we had things like um, at quarantine, not isolation, sunshine time, and um, um, exercise on Zoom, and workshops on Zoom, and care. Uh, care coordinators, I forget what we call them, who call them once or twice, um, once daily or once every other day to kind of check on them. And so we can't leave students to themselves to be, um, to, to, to just try to manage it because the emotional toll is really intense. What we also know is that there's been an uptick in anxiety and depression among this particular um, age group and colleagues as well, certainly, um, and that um, some, some places have done some neat things. So we have put together um, here on my campus kind of a COVID recovery program. We're not calling it that, but that's what it is. And we're doing some preventative things to try to help. And so we're trying to institute more uh, wellness and do things that are antidotes to some of the anxiety, including uh, we're upping our gratitude week that we are uh, um, upping our mindfulness in ways that make it most accessible to students and our YouTube channels will start to get flooded as well as our social media with just really five minute shots in the arm, no pun intended, but all the puns intended um, to help, um, help students really be inoculated against the stress and the distress that can be caused by currently what we are living in. Um, the, the other piece that we have 
uh, that we are working on pretty hard is to try to equip even better our whole community to recognize when they see the stress in students that we've upped our game just a little bit on that so that faculty and staff can help us to intervene even earlier than we typically was. And we already have a pretty robust a kind of community of caring, but we really have sought to really do a better job uh, around that with with our with our campus, and then to kind of um, give voice to this, to name it, to help people understand. Oh, if you're feeling this, this, and this, that might be COVID recovery anxiety. If you're feeling that, that, and that, pay attention. And as opposed to letting people try to make meaning of it on it on, on their own, but providing a structure or a schema for people to attach themselves to in a way that helps them know and understand what's going on. Know that some campuses are holding COVID debrief meetings um, among their entire community, um, just an opportunity for people to come together to sit down and, and talk together and then to use uh, what they learned in those groups to try to kind of help with programming, planning, and policy. Well, thank you for that insight. So I would like to try something new for this show. Um, it, it's sort of like a lightning round. I, I, you know, my podcast peer colleague from NASPA, Jill Creighton, kind of gave me this idea. So I'm going to ask all of you this question. And if you can give me sort of like your elevator pitch response to this. But um, if you can share with the listeners, tell me one thing um, or tell me an innovative thing that you have seen as it relates to pandemic recovery response can be a policy, a practice, a program, a new position, whatnot. I'd like to hear um, your response. And eeny, meeny, miny, Amber, you're up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there are lots of great examples. And I think that that um, a lot of things have gone ac across the country. I think one of the things really early on that, that we decided was that we wanted a separate staff for isolation quarantine team and our residential life team. Um, again, not understanding fully the, the infectiousness and how that happened. We wanted to make sure we had separate teams. And I think because of that, we were able to repurpose um, the the incredible experience and efforts of people who've never worked in residential life into that program. And it really made it better. And, you know, they came from food service. They came from our rec and fitness team. They came from um, our, our uh, events team. And so they really came together and, and brought their superpowers together to make an isolation and quarantine area that really almost uh, fully mirrored what was happening in the residence halls up in isolation and quarantine, obviously highly modified, lots of staff oversight and, and whatnot, but it really came together and it's a really cool program for, for anyone who's gotten to see it. All right, shouts out to you, Amber, for that. And also to the isolation quarantine at UC Berkeley. Uh, Kim. Gosh, all right. So when I think about like innovation during this time, um, I think back to the phone calls. So we made fine, we made um, kindness, kind, kindness, we made kindness phone calls to our students. Um, you know, one semester we reached out to seniors because that was not the senior experience that they thought that they would have. Um, other moments we reached out to first year students, you know, just saying we care about you and we are not a small private school. So that took a lot of hands on deck. Um, mm -hmm. And some of those phone calls really lifted a lot of our staff's 
um, just day and, you know, filled the cup because again, we were virtual for so long. So to have those conversations was really meaningful. Kudos to Ohio State for that. That's, that's a big lift. Wonderful. That is a big Dr. Stacy. So there are two things that pop up for me. The first is um, one of the things that happened with food. So we know how complicated feeding people in quarantine and isolation was. And so initially we were using this worksheet where we could go in and say um, vegan or vegetarian or gluten intolerant, whatever. But in the end, by the time we were in the middle, maybe even early in that of the second semester, there was an app developed that every student in quarantine could go in and, and order their own food. And that we did not, so it was a game changer for us because no longer were there those kind of complaints, at least, if they, as long as they got their food, they were good. Uh, I mean, the normal things that people say about that are developmentally appropriate about um, campus dining, of course, but, uh, but that it really kind of took um, some of the stress out of making sure that we got it right. And then if we didn't get it right, remediating the problem. And so um, that was something that I was particularly proud of that happened on our campus. And I, I also remain uh, pretty curious about the school. And unfortunately, I am not able to remember it, although it feels like maybe Minnesota or Wisconsin, um, the program around bringing people together to debrief and normalizing people's reactions around COVID. I think that um, that there's some power in, because really, let's face it, we all have a collective trauma um, as it relates both to COVID and to the wildfires and just all of the things right now, but we're talking specifically about COVID uh, today and the racial reckoning and the killing of trans women. I mean, just like so many things that, that we're sharing this collective trauma. And I think that there's power in being able to sit together and talk about it, but also power in naming it. And it has sometimes the propensity to take some of the heat off of it when we can get it from in us to outside and then have that collective experience together. Those are definitely wonderful ideas. And also just sort of like making me think also indirectly, like, you know, shout out to and love to our peers and uh, peers and uh, colleagues uh, who are impacted by the hurricane that's hitting the South. So Wonderful. So we are almost out of time. And uh, this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Um, so we always close with this question. But if you could take a minute or two and summarize sort of one thought, um, maybe what you're pondering, what you're questioning, what's exciting you, something that maybe you heard on this panel that you would like to reflect on, um, if you could share that. And then also, if you can also tell folks how to connect with you, uh, wh whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, or your email. Who wants to go first? <laughs> it's like popcorn. Dr. Stacey's like, nah. -uh. <laughs> I can go first. Go, Amber. <laughs> yeah. So what, some of the things I'm thinking about now are, <clears throat> you know, we've just spent the last 18 months with our heads down, really focusing on COVID. And, and I know I've got housing projects that are barreling towards um, breaking ground and soon to be completed. And so how do you, we, in our exhaustion, figure out how to continuously figure out how to start raising our heads up higher and higher towards the, the horizon and also honor that we need rest and honor that we're humans and honor that it's not all going to get done. Um, and I think that um, 
that's really hard um, because of how exhausted we all are. And I, I, you know, a new school school year is not the the finish line. You know, the the opening day is not the finish line. It's actually the starting line. Mm-hmm. And so everything we just did this summer was just to get to the starting line. And so how do we how do we figure out, especially for our our um, more senior leadership on campus, how how to get them the ability to have enough brain space to start thinking about 2024, 2027. And, and making sure that we've laid plans that um, that after this pandemic, we we are going to be able to have that financial solvency and and um, have a really great student experience. Thank you, Amber. Kim. And oh, I was going to say, sorry. and you can get a hold of me um, yes. through, through yeah. my dog. Um, my dog has an Instagram. Her name is awesome.thedog. Um, and, and she'll pass along any messages. That's phenomenal. We will put, we will put that in our uh, website <laughs> so people can go and check, uh, check that link out later. Kim. Awesome. So as I said, your dog's name. Um, Amber really, you know, was on the same thought path as me. Uh, I'm just thinking about how a lot of members on my staff and my colleagues are already tired. And I'm also going to name that it seems like every other day, a colleague of mine is leaving higher education. And that's worrisome to me. Um, It's also worrisome that I have colleagues that are struggling to hire student employees right now. So thinking about like, how are we going to offer these experiences, um, whether that's, you know, the normal coffee shop that's in your, you know, your building on campus, if you can't, you know, hire enough students to make it run during those hours, how is it impacting the staff that will now be learning how to make coffee? Um, So that's on my mind. I also have to name, because you all know where I work. Um, I'm thinking about how the football season is going to impact many of our institutions. I'm thinking about that, you know, thinking about the sorority fraternity community um, and obviously our larger community too around our campus. Those are very real points. Thank you, Kim. So I think uh, there are two things that are on uh, my mind. I worried about the acuity or the severity of the pathology or the struggles or distress, there we go, that students are coming back to campus with and how that is going to play out. Um, Will it mean more hospitalizations? Will it mean an increase in suicidal behavior? Will it, like, what is that going to look like and how do we disrupt it? And um, this is the thing that it's keeping me up at night, not literally, but you know. And um, and so that is really heavy on my mind and really trying, I mean, I think part of my desire, like my heart's desire is to get out in front of it. Like nobody has to say students are coming to campus in more distress. Like we know that. And, and so let's, so I've been trying to do my best at just trying to get in front of it. Um, as much as possible, but not being sure that that's enough, quite frankly. Uh, and so that that is um, that's in my head. Um, and, and I think the other thing is um, how is this going to change, or how has it changed our profession, and what will it mean for us in the long term? Um, you know, I'm struck. I'm struck by Kim by the the amount of people that are leaving our field as well. Like when you said that, I'm like, yeah, that part. That um, just and and 
trying to make meaning of that, but just really struck by how how I believe our work will be forever changed um, and and not knowing what that will be, even in the context of uh, this very divisive uh, way that we're living right now as as a country and how things that seem to be um, just innocent objects like a face mask is a lightning rod and and the elections and what's going to happen now that uh, people are um, here in this country who helped us in Afghanistan are they going to be okay and um, you know, so I I am I am concerned about COVID and all that is attached to it but how that work plays into or is impacted by everything else all of the instability um, that we are currently experiencing right now um, in the world I want to say in our country but really in the world Um, and so uh, that's the other thing that's on my mind sorry that the long answer you can find me um, I actually host a podcast called being the dot where interview people of color who are thriving in white spaces and so you can find me um, there at Being the Dot. And I actually have a couple episodes on COVID, including Black around Brown People and the vaccine and a few other things, um, but also um, on all of the social media places um, at Dr. Stacy. So Dr. Stacy with an E, um, PW as in possibly winning. Um, so Dr. Stacy PW um, is another place uh, to find me. And we will put that in the website for sure. Kim, did you share your um, contact? I did not. Thank you for reminding me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm Kim Monto DeFreitas, or you can email me. My email is defreitas.12 at osu.edu. Wonderful. And if you go to, for our listeners or those who are watching on YouTube, uh, if you go to our website, studentaffairsnow.com, um, their information will also be there. So you can um, listen to Dr. Stacy's podcast, um, you know, um, visit Kim's LinkedIn or check out some cool photos with uh, Amber's dog. Awesome. So this is it. I just want to say to you that uh, this was an incredible episode. I really appreciate it. I really love your, your closing statements as well. And thank you for being guests um, today. Um, I know that this episode is going to be airing really quickly. And so I'm going to thank in advance Nat Ambrosi, who does our behind the scenes production work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nat, for turning this episode around. And again, thank our sponsors, Everfy and Anthology. Thank you for continuing to support, um, allowing us to put this, uh, this topic and other topics out into social media. Uh, these shows for sure would not be possible without their support. And then to our audience and to our listeners, thank you for joining us again. Um, As you listen today, if you found this content to be useful for you, for your student affairs practice and scholarship, we'd love it if you'd share this episode with your social media networks. The more we can share on how we are maneuvering this pandemic, the better we are as a profession. 